Welcome back to The Great Indoors. Before we dive into today's interview, I want to tell you about our next season, which will be recorded live at MWC Barcelona from February the 26th to the 29th. You'll hear from industry experts, explore new innovations, and gain new insight into the world of connectivity. New episodes coming early March, wherever you get your podcasts. Taking action to protect our environment will help to keep our Canadian economy strong and growing. In a circular economy, products are made to last longer, communities share resources and save money, and businesses are maintaining, reusing, manufacturing and recycling materials to create more value for you and future generations. For example, in Canada, if we improve how we manage plastic waste through the circular economy, by 2030 we can reduce 1.8 million tons of carbon pollution, generate billions of dollars in revenue, and create approximately 42,000 jobs. So if you repair your things instead of throwing them out, use sharing services like tool lending libraries or car sharing services, or simply repurpose some of your old belongings, like turning old pallets into new bookshelves, you are participating in the circular economy. And if you're not yet taking any of these actions, now is your chance to learn more about how you, your business, and your community can contribute to the transition toward a more circular economy. The circular economy. More value, less waste. Now, what you just heard there was the actual video on the Canadian government website that defines the circular economy. Though we haven't just answered our question for today in the intro, we're going to talk about how the circular economy applies to something that our industry is very much responsible for, and that's e-waste. Now, e-waste, of course, refers to discarded, recycled or refurbished electrical and electronic products. As such, every company in this industry must now consider this as part of their ESG efforts moving forward. Welcome to The Great Indoors, a podcast where we look at the technological implications brought about by the next industrial revolution and how this could potentially help solve the biggest problems facing humanity. I'm your host, Matt Roberts, and joining me as ever is my trusty co-pilot and producer, Larissa Yi. Now, a reminder for all of you in this historic seventh season in that we have episodes that focus in two areas. One, on Canada specifically, and also interviews we recorded at MWC Las Vegas just a couple of months ago. It was our third year as the GSMA's official podcast for MWC Las Vegas. But today we're back in Canada and our guest is Stephanie McClarty. Now I happened to meet Stephanie by chance at the Canadian Telecom Summit in Toronto just two weeks ago. She was appearing on stage at the event to talk about sustainability in the telecom space as it pertains to Canada. Not only was I struck by her incredible work as the head of sustainability at Quantum Lifecycle Partners, but also I found out she was a fellow podcaster. And her infectious passion and enthusiasm for her podcast, The Circular Future, is incredible. And it focuses on the challenges of e-waste and its impact on the world. So of course, it was essential she joined The Great Indoors as a guest. Now, with the surge in ever more connected devices, e-waste in Canada alone has tripled in the past 20 years. Quantum Lifecycle Partners' mission is thus to try and alleviate the e-waste issue for the benefit of its customers and, of course, the environment. 
Now, Stephanie isn't just an incredible podcast host. She's a renowned entrepreneur known for her sustainable business initiatives. She founded Reficient in 2010, a marketplace offering sustainable solutions for telecom and AV companies, amongst other things, to manage surplus inventory. Now, in 2022, Reficient joined Quantum Lifecycle Partners with Stephanie as the head of sustainability. Now, she's an influential speaker, lecturer, and she addresses topics like eco-entrepreneurship, corporate social responsibility, and women in business. Her insights have been featured in national media, including the Globe and Mail and CBC. Actively engaged in her community, Stephanie is on the board of governors at McMaster University and chairs the IEC TC111 Canadian Committee on Environmental Electronic Standards. She holds degrees from McMaster University and the University of Innsbruck. So I'd like to welcome today's guest, Stephanie McClarty. So Stephanie, for our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself, your bio, quantum itself, and your role there. Yeah, sure, Matt. I have most of my experience in the telecom industry, which is, of course, where we met. I started a company back in 2010 called Reficient, and we did reuse and recycling in the telecom space, as well as lots of sustainability reporting. And in January of Last year, we were acquired by Quantum Lifecycle Partners. Quantum is the largest electronics recycler and reuse provider in Canada. And so we have nine locations across Canada and one location in Costa Rica, which everyone wants to work at and nobody can. But we basically handle anything with a battery or a plug. We look to reuse it first through uh, remarketing or parts reuse. And if not, then we break it down through shredding and recycle it so the commodities can be reused again. So in my role uh, in uh, as head of sustainability, I am in charge of a sustainability strategy across our entire company and also doing a lot of work with our customers, doing education, thought leadership, hence why we started our podcasts, The Circular Future. And and so this is something that obviously you've you've been passionate about for a while, right? What was it that brought you to the world of sustainability and recycling? Yeah, I have been always very environmentally focused. It's good to reuse and recycle because it's good for the environment, but it also helps you to save money or make money. I honestly did not expect to get into this. I actually have a master's in peace and conflict transformation, thinking I would work for the UN one day. Oh, wow. And it was Interesting. in between semesters that I decided to get a job for a while and make some money because I had been traveling a lot prior to that. And the job I got was at one of the large telecom companies in Canada. And I, for eight months, wore steel-toed boots and drove around a company van and went out to the old network sites and physically pulled out the old equipment, built some muscles as well, yeah, yeah. but figured out what to do with it. Like, can it be reused? If so, by whom? How do we make those matches? And by the end of that contract, when I went back to school, I had this niche knowledge of telecom infrastructure equipment 
like literally yeah. something I knew nothing about prior to starting. And I started consulting um, on the side and that led into my business and I've been wow. in the space ever since. No, but you, you jogged my memory there and you said something really interesting and it kind of ties in with a little bit with my career as well because I started with a Canadian telecoms company called Nortel that was building and producing a lot of that hardware and infrastructure. And I remember some of the first assignments in the early 2000s I got sent on around the world, but you'd go into those switch rooms that were huge, great big facilities with these cabinets of equipment and equipment. And then within 10, 15 years, they'd shrunk down to the size of just a, a 17 inch rack of various devices and cables. So there was that miniaturization in telecoms hardware and infrastructure that's happened over the last 20 years. And therefore these telecoms companies had all this surplus space and all this hardware that needed to be recycled, I guess. Was that your experience with it, seeing this next generation of hardware and software that, that brought everything down? Yeah, absolutely. There's been these generational leaps in technology and the big telecom companies could always afford the latest and the greatest. You know, for example, Nortel, when it was the latest and the greatest. But what we found was that there were smaller or small to medium-sized companies across Canada and internationally that wanted that, you know, second generation technology because for them, it was an upgrade and they couldn't afford the latest and greatest technology brand new anyways. So it was about making those matches. And every time there's been these, you know, these leaps in technology, it's remained the same issue where for the large companies, it's a real hassle and it's not their core business. And so they would rather, in most cases, just let someone else deal with it and deal with it, you know, responsibly and making sure it's going to the right place. And that's become yeah. ever more important. So given all the efforts of quantum and, and the recycling, and, and we've just talked now about some of the history of, of why that recycling uh, has come to be, what are the positive byproducts of of the recycling effort obviously it's the sustainability for the environment and the reuse of materials but does it fit with canada's and many other countries overall plans to bridge the digital divide or some of those components can then be put in reuse to other people that have been deprived of the right hardware to date yeah absolutely so what what quantum essentially does is that we close the loop in terms of the circular economy. We know now that the linear economy, which is that take, make, waste model, we landfill things, it doesn't work. And there's lots of implications. So what we're doing is essentially closing that loop through reuse and recycling solutions. But an interesting sort of byproduct of that in terms of bridging the digital divide is we help to enable digital equity. And this whole concept of digital equity is something that we're now hearing from our customers because they're saying to us, yes, help us to recycle our, our cell phones and our, our modems and our computers and laptops, but help us do it in a way that also honors this digital equity piece, which is ensuring that we can not only keep 
reusing products and materials, but we're doing something good with it. One of the things that we offer now is a donation program where the technology that might be coming out of your company may or may not be a fit for a donation, but we can allocate a percentage of the resale proceeds or the recycling proceeds so that we can actually then redeploy the appropriate technology to nonprofits or to organizations, schools, that kind of thing that can actually reuse the technology. Because as we know, technology is a great enabler, but how do we get it into the hands of folks who may not have the budgets for the latest yeah. and the greatest, like just like yeah. the, the large telecom companies? You actively do that as part of quantum, right? So you're recycling things and then donating them to underprivileged children or communities elsewhere in Canada. Or is it just the resale proceeds that you donate? Yeah. So we do get requests and so we'll evaluate the requests as they come in. But it's an active program that we offer to our customers as well. We have a, a website called QNovum which is essentially our own e-commerce store for refurbished technology. So it could be, you know, giving gift cards for the QNovum website to, uh, to go and, you know, yeah. purchase the laptops that they need or the, the tablets and so forth. Okay. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. And how do, you know, your customer base, we talked about the the big telcos. Who else would the, those customers typically look like as far as they would come to you and say, we need to recycle or we need to go green. What what would be the process on that? And, and, and who typically would your potential customers be? Yeah, we work right across the board. So we work with the big banks. We work with uh, retailers and like large you know, publicly traded retailers. We work with, you know, companies of various sizes, like large accounting firms to, you know, small businesses. A lot of our business focuses on what we call the enterprise clients, the larger companies that cycle through their technology every two to three years and have that ongoing need and also have that interest as well in the whole sustainability piece around it. And we offer sustainability reporting um, to those customers so that they have the data and also like the mini case studies that they can then right. use yeah. and put in their impact report or share in their marketing. It's interesting because we now say that while most of our business is in the type of technology that we all deal with every day, our computers and our phones, what we're now seeing is this really broadening of tech that comes in. And we say we deal with anything with a battery or a plug now. And think about that for a moment, just how much more has a battery or a plug like it's such a like broader range of tech that's become yeah. smart over the years and and will continue to become smart. Yeah. On the flip side, it can be a challenge for recycling. Uh, last week I was at a, a battery recycling summit and batteries when they get into shredders for electronic shredding, they're a problem because they can cause fires. This is a, a real challenge. But the problem is you don't always know when a product has a battery in it. So we're looking at ways to identify batteries, a movement of digital watermarking that's coming um, forward, and just 
coming up with strategies in terms of awareness and also processes on the recycling side so that we can recover more batteries and battery recycling rates are, are very low. It's usually five to 10%. And we want to get up to 90% by 2030 by some uh -huh. estimates. So yeah. that's a real focus now around technology because so much more has a battery. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point when you know we've talked about the internet of things for years and now we're coming to the end of that generation of products. You know, when you look at the adoption of the cloud for computing, those existing legacy mainframe computing equipment and hardware and racks and services, that's all now up for uh, recycling, right? That's the reason why people, uh, uh, big companies are moving to the cloud to alleviate the stress on having to upgrade their hardware and it be more flexible. I guess, and, and you know this better than anyone, we're at a sort of peak recyclable opportunity, right? If you And, and it's going to get bigger. If we were to move towards a peak, where, where would you say we were right now as far as recyclability of anything? That's a great question. I will say, I don't know exactly where the peak is, but we've passed the peak in terms of the makeup of technology that makes it easy to recycle, I'd say. There's been a movement over the years, as you've pointed out before, about making things smaller. And in the recycling space, we call that lightweighting because the volume of material may be growing, but as things get smaller and lighter, it actually makes the recycling value of them that much smaller. So it's almost like the two-faced situation where, yeah, the volume is growing, but it's harder to recycle. And also, unless products are designed so that they are recyclable at the end of their life, which traditionally products have not been, it can be really difficult to recycle many products. As an example, um, a printer that by virtue of how they put the screws in some printers means that it becomes incredibly difficult to like dismantle it and getting toner and ink into a shredder is also a, a fire hazard. It's also a big problem. So we haven't been traditionally thinking about designing products for recycling, but it is a growing movement where there's standards now that say, like, talk to recyclers and design that into the products from the beginning so that we don't have these problems. The other thing that we're seeing at Quantum is a whole movement towards reuse. That side of the business has eclipsed the recycling business. When they acquired my company, they also acquired another company. Both of us were reuse-focused companies. And we're seeing now that if we can reuse a product, and ideally reuse the whole product first, and if not, then reuse parts, and we can calculate now the environmental benefit of reuse from an emission standpoint, we can see that depending on the type of product it is, that reuse helps to save anywhere from 7 to 21 times the emissions over even recycling. That much more emissions are saved or avoided simply because we're reusing a product, because we're not spending the, the energy manufacturing it. We're not 
you know, pulling the materials from the earth and, you know, the emissions intensity of that. When the big hardware manufacturers are designing products now, they need to consider reuse and recyclability in that design process. And again, I don't want to go down the history lane of my career, but I went into handset, uh, the handset manufacturers after I left Nortel. And, you know, I'd be working in China where they would be pumping out, you know, 500,000 handsets a day. I mean, they would even say you knew what color Motorola's next product would be if you looked in the river in Tianjin because the oh. paint, that's what, what it, what, you know, I'm, I'm talking 2003, 2004 right now. One of the, the mantras that used to be used in the manufacturing and the design process was design for distribution. When you design that product, design it so that it can be distributed as efficiently as possible. The two things that you've said there that I think challenge that mantra is it's about design for recycling and reuse, right? That's that's a key thing that the hardware manufacturers should be thinking about in their product portfolios and their, and their product design. You know, th there's a, an opportunity there for them to rethink how they build based on, on the design for recycling and reuse. I'm just wondering if there's any, uh, if they're actively talking about this or it's, or it's happened or it's passed us by, it's happened and they're doing it. Yeah. Well, well, once the product is designed and put out into the market, it's, it's too late. Well, I would say that the manufacturers, they're at different stages of how seriously they take this. It's not, uh, at this point anyways, it, it's not legislated, but I would say we're now starting to see, and last week was a great example, one of the main phone manufacturers at the Battery Recycling Conference basically saying, recyclers, we want to work with you. Tell us like what we need to do, like help educate us. And those, those conversations before have been, I think, rather ad hoc versus there's now a real movement around this. One of the things that's actually sparking that movement is the new right to repair legislation that's now starting to crop up uh, across the globe. So right to repair legislation basically says to manufacturers that you have to open up your like tools and information and spare parts so that other people and, and consumers specifically can repair the products wow, because interesting yeah yeah i'd hate to say it but right now electronics are often single use items right they break you don't you know what to do with it ideally you recycle it but and there's studies that show that the majority of people about 70 percent, actually do want to repair the product or have someone else repair it for them but we just don't have the information and the tools. And so that's what this new right to repair legislation is doing. What's really interesting is that while it's somewhat designed for consumers to repair their own products, it's likely that that's going to be a really niche market that actually does that. I mean, I know personally that I'm not going to repair my own electric electronics. My husband might. But I would much rather like send it to a local company that could do it for me. And that's the thing. What we're anticipating is that this right to repair legislation is going to 
you know, prime the supply chain, basically like lift the the awareness and the like the options to repair electronics across the board. So it's not just about this like yeah. this niche application of it. So that's what we're hoping anyway. Well, that's a, what you're saying is the the right to repair legislation enforces the manufacturers to open up right the the recipe in their products or the the bill of materials so that third parties there's a business opportunity there could come in utilize that knowledge to provide that repair service it's been happening but at the very rudimentary level so if your phone screen cracks there's a guy you can call he'll come to your house in a van knock on the front door, you give him what needs repairing, he'll go back to his van and then come back like 30 minutes later, charge you $50 and the screen is repaired. But that's like very rudimentary, like if it's a screen or if something, you know, fairly easily physical. But what this legislation does is let them go a little deeper, right? There could be a software glitch or there could be some a transceiver or a motherboard issue that they can third parties could get into make that repair but I, you can see the environmental benefits right there i mean it's I, I can't tell you the amount of times something seemingly small has gone wrong with a piece of hardware in the house and then it's ended up binned or in, in the recycling bin yeah and that is that is totally normal and the other thing that this legislation does is you know with with cell phones i would say there there has been like an industry around the repair of it. It makes sense, you know, to repair your screen. But for like other types of electronics, you know, like my husband's coffee cup, when that breaks yeah, yeah. under this new legislation, it's all the other products all as the well. All the stuff, yeah. yeah that there'll yeah. be now options for. The Traditionally, the, the manufacturers haven't been so keen on this type of legislation because it really challenges them in terms of their intellectual property, you know, if they have to open up, you know, proprietary information about their business. Also, safety concerns around particular products. And I, it, that's a really legitimate concern. Uh -huh. What we're starting to see is these manufacturers opening up business units that are services for this, right? They're, they're seeing the business opportunity in this now as well. It extends the life cycle of the product, right? You always used to look at product life cycles. And even with mobile devices, you know, you would upgrade every two years your device. Now it's gone to three years. And now they're predicting it can go even further because the device has more longevity against any hardware fault. And when we talk about new technologies, um, not a day goes by. In fact, I started the conversation talking about it because it's kind of, big thing for us right now is is generative ai how do you see that playing a role in quantum and in esg as a whole do you think it's going to be a force for good a positive well at quantum we hired our first employee who is specifically focused on ai how do we leverage ai as a company in our processes at Quantum, we have a green team, which is basically representatives from across the company. We work on um, tackling environmental issues. And we put a survey out to the company on, you know, what are we doing well? And things like, how do you commute to work? And suggestions, that kind of thing. It's a bunch of data that comes back. He worked with me to basically leverage 
ChatGPT to analyze our survey results and to help us to see some of the patterns that we couldn't easily see without like really spending a lot of time on the data. And, you know, one thing that surprised me, we have at Quantum our production workforce, which is the folks that are in the recycling plants. And we also have our, you know, office or salaried staff um, who are much more connected via email and whatnot. And there's some like distinct differences between those two groups of employees and how we commute to work and our openness to commuting, for example. The, the production workforce is far more open to trying a carpooling program than our office staff, believe it or not. They're also, they live closer to our facilities than our other staff do. So it's just really interesting how it was able to make some of those connections that like we couldn't easily do. But uh, I, yeah, I do think that AI can play a big role in terms of ESG. I mean, one of the things that we're now doing is, um, as I've talked about the importance of reuse, is applying a, a, a digital like grading system for reuse that's accessed virtually. So basically, as you know, products is removed from a customer's uh, warehouse or their network, we can assess it at that point in terms of its potential reuse. Because the earlier that we can assess reusable material and segregate it, the better the outcomes are. Leveraging those AI tools now, there's so much more that we can do. I also think on the the emissions side of you know ESG, the E, that AI can play a bigger and bigger role in terms of understanding our emissions, even the application of smart thermostats and like that that data collection and analyzing in terms of how we heat our facilities. And like that's something where technology has already proven. It can help us to, you know, do better and and be more smart about our our natural gas usage and our electricity usage. But I think we're going to see a lot more of that as these like AI-driven technologies can help us to connect dots that we haven't been able to connect so far. Uh, also, um, you know, on the safety side, which maybe that's more of the S of uh, ESG, we have struggled with battery recycling. As I mentioned, they can cause fires. And so we're looking at deploying some new technology which leverages um, x-ray technology which leverages machine learning and AI to be able to pinpoint where batteries are so that they can be removed prior to entering the shredder so like a much more sophisticated way of battery identification that doesn't rely on just the human eye like we're starting to see possibilities and I think if we were to have this conversation even in two years' time, we would see and realize opportunities that we may not even know like exist today.
you know, there's again looking at the news, and I don't want to get into politics, things like net zero um, and everything. And we talk about the ever increasing need, desire, opportunity to recycle and reuse. How do you think we're doing? Where do you think we are? And what else do you think needs to happen in order for what would be your summary and your vision on this? Just interested to get that that perspective, Stephanie. You know, Matt, when I think about the broader issue of climate change and where we are and where we need to be, frankly, we're doing, well, I don't think I could use the word on your podcast. <laughs> we're not doing very well. And uh, there was just a, a recent report that came out that says that while we know we need to keep warming to 1.5 degrees and keeping warming to two degrees above pre-industrial levels is somewhat acceptable. We're at 2.9. The people that released the report through the UN basically said, we don't know what else to say. Like we keep delivering, it's like bad news and bad news. And like, we feel like a broken record. Um, I get it. And I'm really worried, especially as a mother, what the future entails and all the sort of spin-off effects. So uh, yeah, we we definitely need to do more very quickly. That being said, I am hopeful. I am hopeful that we will get our stuff together enough to make some necessary changes. Because when I think back, who knew what ESG even stood for Five years ago, we didn't look net zero. That was not really common language. Even, you know, three years ago, the change in the pace of knowledge and awareness in the space and acceptance now, because we, we see, you know, from from a weather perspective, some of these extreme weather events that they've predicted are now happening with a regular occurrence. There's been a lot that's changed. And as you pointed out, even a year ago, I mean, who knew what chat GPT was? And now it's just a part of our everyday language. So I am hopeful um, because we know also that we do have the technologies and we do have the answers to make it happen. We just need to make it happen. We just need to have the will to make the choices that align with that and some of those choices might be hard on on the recycling and the reuse front i'm really encouraged because i see you know large organizations wanting to make a difference and like doing the things to make a difference i see now for example that these large organizations are now looking at their whole reuse and recycling as a sustainable investment. It used to be that it was very much, you know, siloed, if you will. And, you know, we'll focus on getting the biggest recovery from these products because, you know, for the biggest financial return and, oh, just like landfill, all that other stuff. And like, we don't really care in a sense. But now they're like, they're looking at it from a broad perspective of like, help us to do the right thing. And we understand that we'll, you know, make some money over here. It'll cost us money over here. We need to look at this from a big picture perspective. And that is happening. And I'm now pulled 
regularly into these meetings with these large organizations around ESG, also partially because like they're demanding it. They're like they want to have these conversations. And and I don't want to get philosophical, but you made me think of something there. And, and it relates to you mentioned it yourself. You know, we think about our children and and it was the great poet Whitney Houston who once said, I believe the future is our children. But do you think our children have a better propensity, perception, willingness to take this challenge on than our demographic? Because when I look at it technically, when we look at sort of the digital experience, one of the things we say is the future demographic cohorts, the Gen Zs of the world, have a higher expectation for the experience they get from their technology and the digital experience. Do you think that same demographic has a, a higher understanding, willingness to do more, to do the more that we talked about right at the beginning of, of your answer there? Well, I think in many ways, the young generations will have no choice but to deal with it. It's about, you know, embracing the challenge because this is the reality. This is, this is the key issue their generation will face. And the thing that, you know, keeps me up at night is my daughter ever turning to me and saying, like, mom, why didn't you do more? Like, I, I would hate for that to happen. Makes me even emotional thinking about it. Some of these elements, these issues that perhaps they learn in school, but I think it's also somewhat like through like social circles of like, in this case, I think Tesla, it's good for the environment and it's Cool. probably cool right yeah. yeah yeah i do think that that the young generation has that they're more instilled with this and i think they're more instilled with values around being environmentally responsible and and we see that in, in the data from where the youth choose to work stephanie obviously you're, you're extremely passionate about this topic and as such you started your podcast so tell our listeners a little bit about your podcast because that's how we connected and it's always great to meet a fellow podcaster and and hear about their show and uh, everything they're doing so tell us a little bit about that yeah we started the circular future back in january and really the reason why we started it is because we were getting questions around specifically carbon credits like what are carbon credits and why do some companies offer them when others won't and how does this all work and at the time we thought what we really need to have is conversations we want to like sit down and talk about this because if we write you know blog about it it just won't have the same effect and same level of understanding as conversations so that's when we decided to start the circular future to tackle some of these these questions around how do I do the right thing, especially as a company? How do I arm myself with the right knowledge and the right resources? So we created the circular future to do just that. So it's all about uh, access to uh, experts and to innovations and tools out there to help uh, individuals be sustainability champions in their business, especially if they are not a sustainability professional because the ESG people like me we might already get it but it, there's increasingly 
every type of business professional, whether you're in finance or operations or procurement, what have you, that that these folks are now being tasked with sustainability-related um, initiatives, and they have questions. And so that's why we started the podcast. And uh, I'm really excited we got renewed for season two. Do you enjoy it as well? I can see you, you've got a big smile on your face when you talk about it. You definitely enjoy it. You know, I do enjoy it because for me, podcasting is something I had never done before. So it forces me to get outside of my comfort zone. And so I feel like I have learned so much about podcasting and just about myself and like putting myself out there, like doing, you know, a live podcast recording in front of 200 people freaks me out, but it's so good for me (laughs) to do that. Well, do something each day that scares you. Right. Isn't there that, you go. What, I can't remember who said that. It, it wasn't Whitney Houston. Well, best of luck with that, Stephanie. Now, uh, we're almost coming to the end of our time. And the way we finish uh, the TGI is with our quick fire TGI to go round. So I'm going to give you two options, two multiple choice, and then you're going to give me your preference. And it just helps our listeners understand a little bit more about you and lets us finish with a bit of fun. So are you ready for TGI to go? I love it. I'm ready. Okay, here we go. TGI to go. Question number one, singing or dancing? Oh, dancing. Yeah? I danced when I was young and I was even on Electric Circus once, which... Given this is a Canadian show, or Canadian, you know, episode, Canadian listeners may remember that show. It was on Much Music. It was like the Friday night dance party. And I was uh-huh. on it. That would have been in 2000 and, uh, 2000, I think. Yeah. Somewhere in uh-huh. there. And so, like, we, like, maybe I have it on VHS. <laughs> I don't know. Um, question number two. Poutine or schnitzel? You know, I would say poutine uh-huh. because I'm vegetarian, so right. the schnitzel would be out. Even yeah. though I I did live in Germany for a year and a half total over various periods, and at the time I ended up being fluent in German. Ah, and whereabouts in Germany were you? Most of my time was spent in Freiburg and Breisgau in right. the Black Forest, the, right. the southwest corner. Ah. Yeah, I love Germany and yeah. I love Austria and yeah. yeah. I oh, love well, the schnitzel, but I, I can't. Biking or yoga? Yoga. Yeah. I do yoga uh, every weekday morning. I have a little routine. I don't know what it is about biking. I know some people love biking, but I just never, never, it's just not well, my thing. I yeah. enjoy running or jogging. Mm-hmm. Lots of much biking. Yeah. It's interesting that I did yoga for the first time in September in Israel. I was kind of dragged into it as part of a corporate thing, and it was a revelation. And we we also had the yoga fit creator and author on the show uh, on in season three, I think. So you should check that out. But she was telling me about the benefits of yoga, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like I said, I did it for the first time in Israel. And I was like, oh my gosh, I should do more of this. You should do uh, more of it. Yeah. Yeah. So many levels, right? Like the flexibility yeah. and, um, but also the mental side of it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. Question number four, 
Vancouver or Vienna? Vienna. Yeah. Vienna is my favorite European city. So much history. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's got a really great vibe. I love yeah. Vienna. You know when they always do the top 10 cities to live in the world, right? Yep. The only European ones that make it into the top 10 are Vienna and Copenhagen. And I think Vienna has been number one the last couple of years because the Canadian cities like Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto are always in there along with Melbourne and mm. Sydney from Australia. But Vienna is there's something unique and different. Mm. I, I love Vienna. It's spectacular. Magical. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever go to the opera in Vienna? Oh, yes. Yes, I yeah. did. And yeah. I... I have kind of a funny story about that. Just that I went when I was in university. I did a year in Freiburg. Yeah. Uh, my third year of university. And we went, uh, some friends and I went to Oktoberfest. And then we went to uh, Vienna. We were backpacking. And we had heard that you could get last minute sell-off tickets at the Vienna Opera House. So we showed up. Turns out we got tickets, we go inside. Well, wouldn't you know, we get like box seat tickets. And here we are in our, you know, jeans and our backpacking look, sitting beside. And everyone's you know, wearing tuxedos. Everyone's wearing tuxedos in the Vienna Opera House. Yeah. Or and we were getting looks, and I totally appreciate it. But we were like, we just got ourselves into the Vienna Opera House for like. Hello. 10 euros or something yeah. ridiculously nice low. so we're like and i proposed to my wife in salzburg so i have a big austrian love for for things so that's good to i hear. love salzburg too yeah yeah so um if you were going to have a weekend somewhere or a day out would you go to canada's wonderland or niagara falls let's say canada's wonderland yeah why because i mean i live an hour away from niagara falls and i've been many times yeah whereas canada's wonderland apart from going quite a bit when i was in my teens uh, i love a good roller coaster now and again uh -huh. and i have not been very often so uh, uh another sort of um day out would you go to muskoka or ottawa that's a good question i'm going to say ottawa and Part of the reason is we have a family cottage north of Muskoka. So for me, Muskoka is our is our cottage country and our like I experienced that, but in our own it's on the French River, um, further north. Whereas Ottawa, yeah. I haven't really been a tourist in Ottawa in a long time. And um, one more question to close out today's TGI. Based on a hardware vendor is actually Samsung or Apple. Oh, I would say, oh, that's a really tough one for me. I was going to say Samsung because I was an Android girl uh -huh. all my life, with the exception of having an iPad. However, since I joined Quantum, Quantum is an Apple company. And therefore, I made the leap to an Apple iPhone last year. And what I love about Apple is the the integration between mm -hmm. all the devices. All That's right. pretty cool. But apart from so that, I'm still Android. Are we, oh, you're still Android apart from that? Yeah. Okay. I think I, if I have to choose one, I would choose CN. Yeah. All right. So thank you very much, Stephanie, for today. I've really enjoyed the hours flown by. It's been a great conversation. 
Before we sign off for the day, is there any last thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners? No, just thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me, and uh, I look forward to having Adit on on yeah, our that's... podcast as well. What a great episode! Wow, really great. Really enjoyed that. Stephanie is an absolute delight, and the conversation was fascinating. So check out her podcast, The Cirque in the Future. It's out there right now. She's in her second season. She's loving it, and I'm sure you will too. Now, please subscribe to our podcast on all the usual podcast channels. Actually, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and enjoyed the show, please rate and review. Also, visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash The Great Indoors for everything that's ever happened, ever, on TGI. Now, we'll be back next week as the season rolls on. I'm Matt Roberts for Amdocs in Toronto. Have a great day wherever you are.